Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, as it shows on the board, we're going to be covering uh, Thessalonians, going to continue in our series on Thessalonians. And we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20, 12 through 28, and uh, I'd like to read that. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. When the writers of the New Testament, led by the Holy Spirit, ended their letters to churches or to people, that their closings often offer instructions and final concerns. And here at the end of chapter 5, we see this uh, sort of a rapid fire list of instructions. And it's interesting to get to see into the mind of God as we read from these inspired instructions here. The, these are the final directions for the church to pay attention to as he closes the letter. Paul's concern in, in these final instructions here seems to be centered around verse 23. And it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has been speaking to the church at Thessalonica in the first letter about living your life, thinking about eternity. The whole letter to the Thessalonians have been about placing their eyes on the coming of Jesus Christ. They want to live their lives in the light of eternity, thinking about eternity, to be ready for his coming. It says he's coming like a thief in the night, and knowing that he is coming means that we must live our lives differently now. So let us look at some of the final instructions that Paul gives these Christians to encourage them to be blame, blameless when the Lord Jesus returns. The whole idea of the letter is that Paul wants them to be holy. and He wants them to be ready. Verse 12 and 13 talk about attitudes and actions toward the leaders, toward spiritual leaders, church leaders. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul's final instructions begin with the attitude that they must have toward their leaders. Paul says, we must respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
Those who work among you, those who are over you, and those who admonish you, they are to be respected, he says. The word means to regard them favorably. No, church leadership ain't easy. It's, it's a difficult responsibility. Elders and leaders should never lord over people. And they're sometimes called under shepherds. And they must always be humble in their leadership responsibilities. But it's often a thankless task. And it says here that some respect needs to be given. Paul says to regard them favorably and esteem them highly in verse 13. Church leaders handle some very difficult situations in all congregations. They love their flock and they have to handle some very large challenges and conflicts. Paul says that they deserve, they deserve respect. They deserve for us to regard them favorably and esteem them highly. Taylor Joyce in his commentary says that Paul here is instructing us to recognize and acknowledge the divinely authorized leadership in the congregation. Uh, Taylor continues to say rebellion against scripturally constituted leadership has from the earliest times been a problem in the church. And, and notice that he says right after that in Thessalonians to be at peace among themselves. And this seems to sort of give us a picture of the problem. It's a problem that's as old as the people in Israel. Uh, while they were in, as far back as when they were in Egypt, think about how many times various people within Israel rebelled against God's leaders. It happened so many times. It happened from, uh, to Moses with his own brother and sister. We have that natural desire to rebel against leadership. We think they're not doing a good job. You know, I know more. I could do better. They don't know what they're doing. They're making mistakes. And I submit to you that all those statements could be true. They're human and they're going to mess up. But those things don't matter. We're called in verse 13 to esteem our spiritual leaders of the church and regard them favorably because of their work. When we don't follow these instructions, we insert our own will in place of God's will. So be at peace with them. Hebrews chapter 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Don't, it says don't be divisive. Don't be a problem. The leaders are serving you and they're working for you. They're not working for themselves. They should have our high regard because of the work that they do, not but because they work perfectly, because they will not work perfect, perfectly. They absolutely will not do the work perfectly and they are gonna make mistakes. There's supposed to be a wonderful relationship between the leaders and the flock. That's the flock that that's not the flock that's rebelling against the elders or the elders telling the flock what to do. We're to have a relationship because we are living in the light of eternity. We're working together. Verse 14 and 15 talks about attitudes and actions toward one another. It says, and 
We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That next paragraph describes how, how we are to act toward one another when living in the light of eternity and the knowledge of Christ's return. We notice in 1 Thessalonians, earlier on in this series, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, that Christians were being idle and they're not minding their own affairs. So now the idle and really they're being warned. Did you know that we have a role in warning each other? Paul is writing to the Thessalonian Christians, telling them to warn those who are disorderly. Second, it says, encourage the faint-hearted, encourage, encourage the discouraged. We are to be encouragers of each other. And closely tied to this idea is the next command, to help the weak. People can be fragile in the, in the faith. You know, they can be susceptible to sin. They can be struggling with sin and struggling to obey God. Encourage them and help them. Come alongside them and help them along. And the third here says, be patient with them all. And we probably all need to hear this. It's, it's easy to grow impatient with those who are weak in the faith. And it's easy to become frustrated with those who always seem to struggle with sin. Maybe we've seen this before in church where there was a complaint maybe regarding an individual who kept coming forward in confession of his sins. And maybe sometimes it was the same sin. Why doesn't he just stop sinning? And it sounds so easy when we're talking about others. But we need to be patient and keep working with the sheep who are, who are willing to be worked with. We don't give up on those who are not giving up on God, although they may be struggling. We never give up on those who continue to struggle, struggle for Christ. But once that struggle is no longer fault, the person has willfully determined to be unruly. And fourth, do not repay evil for evil. And we seek to do good to one another. We will always do good to each other. Even when we've been hurt or we've had evil done to us. We don't respond with evil. We don't not respond with maliciousness. We don't hurt others and do not respond in the way that they treated us. Here's something I want us to think about. A, a normal church is going to have going to have all these things in their midst. There are going to be people who are rebelling against God. There are going to be people who are discouraged. There are going to be people who are weak in the faith, and there are going to be people that hurt us and do evil to us. And here's what Paul says to do. He says to warn them to be patient and to do good. Warn those who are walking away from God. Help and encourage those who are struggling. Be patient with all, all, these, all these different people. It says, do good to them and, and not evil, no matter what they have done to you. We do this because we want to be blameless when the Lord returns. Verses 16 through 18, it talks about the attitudes and actions we must we must take. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. After describing how we look at our leaders as we live in the light of eternity and how we handle each other 
as we live in the, light, in the light of eternity. Now Paul tells us what we must do as individuals for ourselves. In verse 16, Paul begins that we need to rejoice always. Not that we feel happy because we will have pain and we, we're going to have hurts and, and we're going to have suffering, but we live with a hope in God and His will in our lives that gives us a deeper joy in the midst of, of any of this pain and hurt. We, ha we have a focus on God being glorified in our lives rather than a focus on a, avoiding earthly difficulties. We keep our minds on the spiritual riches that we have and, and the etor eternal glory that's going to come rather than the present pain that we may have or, or our loss that we may be going through. You know, I don't know how else we get through trials and, and suffering. I don't know how we do it except that we have joy in our spiritual riches and in our hope for eternity. This is what we rejoice in. This is what we rejoice in each day. And second, it says, pray always. Never give up praying. You know, we need constant communication with God. And it's something that, that we easily forget to do. Who do we talk to most each day? God needs to be the one that we talk to about everything that we have going on in this life. This command here, and we sometimes overlook it, it's, it's a wonderful blessing. We don't only pray when we have a problem or need God's help. God wants you to talk to Him all the time. Can you imagine having a parent that only wanted to talk to you and listen to you only when you had a problem or when you had a need? It would be a shallow relationship. It would not be a good relationship. We have a relationship, or we're supposed to, with God that we're given access and the right to speak to Him anytime. In fact, God is asking that you pray to Him, that you talk to Him in all things. Talk to Him about anything. Third, give thanks. Always. Everything we have is from God, and He deserves our gratefulness. Now, Job was thankful for what he had, and he continued to be thankful even during great loss. And we realize that everything is a blessing from God and it's not deserved. We came into this world naked and we'll leave this world with nothing. Job understood this and he blessed God in all his loss because he understood this. Our eternity perspective will cause us to give thanks always because we see that we have nothing apart from God. He has given us all that we enjoy. He gave you your job. He gave you what wealth you have. He gave you your home, your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, and all the relationships that we enjoy. Charles Spurgeon said, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. I really like that. When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. So why do we rejoice always and pray always and give thanks always? Because in verse 18, it says, this is God's will for us. These are the three things that God has given us to do because it's God's will for us. 
living in the light of eternity, thinking about what's ahead of us, it changes even what we do in the quiet of our own homes. Verses 19 through 22 talks about our attitudes and actions regarding teaching. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul now here, he turns to how they should handle what they are being taught. We need to remember what life was like in the first century in regards to the teaching of the gospel. And remember, they, they didn't have a New Testament yet in the first century. So miraculous spiritual gifts like prophecy and speaking in languages were given when those apostles to the, they were given to those apostles so that God's will could, could be proclaimed and it could be spread. In verse 19, Paul tells the Christians not to quench the Spirit. Use the spiritual gifts that have been given to you. Use, use your gifts. Use what God has given you. Do not despise prophecies. This instruction is interesting because it seems to be a, a common problem. In, in Paul's first letter the Corinthians, to the Corinthians, we see that they ha, had done the same thing. They looked down on the gift of prophecy when this gift was actually God's message. It was proclamation of God's word when God's word had not yet been written down for everybody to read. Do not despise the proclamation of God's word. For us, we ignore the work of the Spirit by refusing to read the Scriptures and letting those words enter our hearts and change our lives. That's how, that's how we ignore that work. Then, it says, test everything. Do not believe a message just because someone has said that they have a message from God. The teaching has to be tested, and that's still true for us today. Don't believe it because I say it. Believe it because you see it in God's Word. This is one reason why I try to make this point, why I try to show you that this point comes directly from the Word of God. I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to see that these are not my ideas, but these are God's ideas. These are God's Word. This is God's Word. Test everything and make sure what is taught, make sure it's God's Word. Once tested, hold fast to it and hold fast to what is good. Don't walk away from sound teaching. Cling to that which is defined as good. Abstain from anything that is evil. No evil can be allowed in our lives and in our teachings. And now we're going to close where we started in verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, sanctify you completely, and may her whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These instructions that he's given us here in this chapter, they are for this very goal in verse 23. The Lord is coming. And Paul says, I want you to be ready. And the rest of the chapter, verse 24 says, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all your brothers, all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, why does Paul end this chapter with this flurry of commands? Because it's his prayer 
that the Lord will sanctify them completely and that their whole spirit, their soul and body to be kept blameless at the Lord's coming. He wants them to be ready for His coming. We need to be ready for His coming. These words from God as seen in His Word are the means by which God is preparing us to be holy and blameless when He returns. We have to listen to His words. We have to listen, let them change our life. God is, say, is cleaning us up if we'll let Him do the work. Honor and respect your spiritual leaders of the work that they are doing. Warn those who are turning away from God. Encourage the faint. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Do good in the face of evil. Rejoice always. Pray always. And give thanks always. Do not despise God's word. Know it and cling to it, testing everything that comes to be from God. If we will do these things, we will be found blameless when he returns. Live your life in the light of eternity. That ends my short lesson, and we never close the service without offering the invitation. If you are subject, you can come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.